it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Season three is here. Welcome back. I am so very excited about this season. I got to interview some of my all-time favorite authors and some new-to-me authors who have happened to join the ranks among those all-time favorites. If you've been listening for a while, you probably know this project is a labor of love while I pay my bills with my full-time public school teaching job. Between reading books, writing interviews, conversing with authors, editing these episodes all by myself, and airing said episodes, I probably put close to 80 hours per month into bringing you this content, and I really want to keep doing that, so I'm humbly, humbly asking for folks to head over to anchor.fm slash situation and story and click the support button there are three options over there 99 cents per month 4.99 per month or 9.99 per month if enough of you are willing and able to show support i can finally get rid of that lame ad at the beginning of my episodes please consider supporting this work I appreciate you all very much. Now for season three, episode one, I sat down to discuss the novel, The Woman from Uruguay, written by Pedro Meral and translated by Jennifer Croft. It was published in the US by Bloomsbury. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I write because if I don't, I feel horrible. Um, the all, all the the weeks or months uh, during which I don't, I'm not writing. Uh, I I don't enjoy anything. I I don't feel I deserve my own life. Um, and writing just if it's a small paragraph or whatever a day. Um, makes me feel that there's some order in the the whole disorder or chaos chaos i don't know how to pronounce that chaos chaos how do you pronounce that that chaos chaos chaos, chaos. chaos. um it puts some order into chaos my my writing that's what it does uh, it makes me feel that everything is more interesting um i i understand better 
what it is to be alive. Um, it makes me more aware of, uh, of being and the possibility and the enormous um, uh, privilege of, of just being a witness of everything. That's what, uh, what writing really allows to me. Um, it, it makes me, it started making me a person <laughs> when I, when I was about 19, I was completely lost and writing and reading, um, helped me put all my pieces together or at least feel broken, but in, in a place where I could get along with that. Um, and it's still uh, today, after 30 years of writing, it still works in the same way. It put, puts my pieces together or, or it lets me live uh, with, um, with all my, my flaws. Jenny, how about you? I don't know if you consider uh, even translating a, a way of writing, um, but it sounds like you also have a novel coming out or out. Well, I'll answer translation first and just thinking about what Pedro said and also about his writing and what makes it distinctive. I mean, there are many things, but one of the things that I love about translation is that I can kind of do an apprenticeship um, under a writer I admire. So I learned something from everyone I translate. And um, one of the things that I found so delightful about this book is the, the pleasure that it takes in sound and kind of putting the sounds of words together and mixing different registers. And Pedro is also a musician. Um, there's a musical instrument that plays an important role in this novel toward the end. Um, and Pedro is also a poet who writes these incredibly brilliant sonnets. So it's a great exercise for me because I'm maybe more visually inclined. So I work with photography as well as um, with language, but I'm kind of missing out on that auditory aspect of, of writing. But I, so I translate to learn how to write and also just to be connected to people and also to advocate for people you know, I started out with Russian and Polish and Ukrainian um, and really wanted to advocate for contemporary women writers in those places where, you know, with a language like Polish, there aren't that many people who can read your work, no matter how great it is, unless it's translated. And often English works as a kind of bridge um, to other languages, too, so for instance, with um, the Nobel laureate Olga Tokarczuk, who I've been working with for about 15 years. Um, my translations have been used to create translations into Arabic uh, and Korean and other languages too. So um, I like that aspect of it. And I think, so I also have always written um, and the novel that Pedro mentions is my first book that I wrote in Spanish, which is called Servientes y Escaleras. And I wrote that specifically because I was living in Buenos Aires and I really wanted, I love Buenos Aires. I love Argentina so much. Um, and I know that people who are actually from there have a more nuanced set of feelings about the city, but I just love it. And I really wanted to be a part of the literary community there. And I co-founded a magazine, a digital bilingual 
um, journal of Argentine and American literature, but and I started to translate. But even that, I still felt like I was kind of outside. So I wanted to kind of be able to tell my own story, and that was supposed to come out in 2015. But um, as is often the case in publishing, it got delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, and it came out seven years later. <laughs> so just now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So, how many languages do you speak or know? Well, the problem with languages for me is that I forget them. So, um, <laughs> like, I I really obsessively studied Russian. That was my first kind of passion when I was a kid. I grew up monolingual um, in Oklahoma, oh, wow. and I studied Russian very like frenetically and I went to Moscow and then I found Polish and I just kind of put Russian behind me and now when I read if I try to read like something that I wrote 20 years ago in Russian it's totally impenetrable to me I mean fortunately I married a translator of Russian literature so <laughs> I'm hoping that that will like gradually <laughs> re-immerse me that helps I imagine um okay so we're talking about the Woman from Uruguay, which I'm absolutely in love with this book. And I don't know, it's the first time I've read your work, Pedro. So now I want to read all of your work, but I don't know how much of it is in English. Um, will you kind of, for those who have not yet read the book, just kind of, I'd like to hear kind of the overview from, from both of your perspectives, if that's, uh, that's okay. Sure. Uh, I'm so glad you, you, you like the book, Chris. Um, if I have to tell the, 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 um, the plot in, in, in just one line, um, it sounds a bit horrible. Um, it's about a married, married guy, a married guy who, who travels for the day from Buenos Aires to Montevideo in Uruguay to get some dollars um, and to meet um, uh, and uh, the Uruguayan, the, the, the woman from Uruguay, um, a, a woman uh, who sh uh, he met uh, the, the last summer. Uh, and um, the book is a long confession of, of, this, of this man to his wife, telling her or thinking that he's telling her um, in detail what happened that day and that that's the day where his life just fell apart or, or finished or started falling apart so the book is is a it's like a, a very intimate uh, confession of him uh, to to Catalina his wife uh, uh, trying to explain to her what happened and also explain to himself uh, that stupid thing he did um, I think I think that's about <laughs> um, the plot, more or less. I don't know, Jenny, if if, if um, it's more or less like that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like an adventure story that also acts as almost a parable about the importance of fantasy of the freedom of the mind um, in a relationship, which I think 
really would resonate with a lot of people, certainly resonates with me. Yes. So the, the fantasy, the freedom of the mind as opposed to actually going out and doing that thing? Yeah. Or what do you mean? No, uh, Jenny, it's... it's <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> Please. I like that, the freedom of the mind and opposing to doing things. Yes, that's what writers are always dealing with. Um, in a way, writing is, is about the freedom of the mind and um, not having to act things or, or just or doing them. Um, I think the book, to me, worked in, in that way. Uh, I could I could dream that I could write it and in a way I could um, just avoid that destiny you know uh, I could avoid going there uh, with my own life mm -hmm. um, right. I I had already failed in in, in a marriage so um, in a way this was um, a way of kind of writing and the, my own ghost, letting my own my own ghost go there, and and uh, get beaten, uh, and th and I think that there's a ma there's a kind of a magical spell in in writing uh, that works in that way, um, and and of course yes I I, I think uh, as Jenny that um, that's about the, the the freedom of the mind because. Because you work with these ghosts and um, you create them, and they they go through walls. They, you you cannot stop them, and they do things, and um, and it's really liberating. It's really liberating. <laughs> what is so? I mean, this novel is loaded with language and nuance and humor and um i'm curious jenny about what it's like or what the relationship is there a relationship that needs to form between a translator and an author for it to be done well i i, I really know very little about the process of translating so what was that like i mean so every everyone's process is different some people some translators for example don't read the book before they start translating because they want to be able to convey the same suspense that the reader of the original novel um, would be experiencing. And I have never done it that way. I always I always choose the book based on books that I have read and, and have really loved. Um, but whether or not I'm in communication with the author also depends on the particular project. And in this case, Pedro and I know each other, but we, we didn't talk during the translation, I think. Oh, I asked about one song, um, but we didn't really talk back and forth during the translation, which I also did very, very quickly. Um, and then I sent it to Pedro and then he read the whole thing and he had very helpful feedback um, for me, which was really wonderful also because obviously not everyone has to speak English. So most people who are authors speak a little bit of English or read a little bit of English, but um, usually not in the way that Pedro does. So it was really nice to be able to have that extremely sensitive uh, response to the translation. 
and and so, sorry, Grace, and um, there's. Um, I think that the, the also what really helps um, is that um, the Jenny has a very strong relation uh, with Argentina, and and the the, the, the slang and the, the uses of, of language, um, and I really love uh, the, the the thing I love the most of her translation is um, when when the characters speak. I feel they're, they're snappy, they're witty, they're um, they're vulnerable. Um, all the things I wanted to the characters to be um, that that trying to be uh, trying to communicate between themselves, but at, at the same time not managing to to connect some things. And it's all there in the language. Um, it's wonderful. I really like the the, the the dialogue, and of course, there's a lot of parts of the novel where the the the, the voice, the the narrative voice, is kind of almost saying things um, uh, aloud, as if, if, if as if he was speaking. So Jenny really managed to to get that kind of uh, colloquial thing. That is kind of the hardest thing I'll just say about about translating for me because, um, you know, dialogue in particular is so sensitive and we really take it for granted and often don't put enough pay enough attention to it. But one of the things that's hard with translation is um, people's locations and and moments really come out in the way that they speak and it's it's very difficult to select an English for each character. So. Um, Try to be. I try to be mindful of that, but also do what whatever feels most natural in the kind of film um, that's happening in my head. I I have so much like awe and respect for <laughs> for that process. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking because even the narrator will talk a lot about the different um, different ways of speaking or different you know from from uruguay to argentina um so it's like the whole language thing is always it always it felt like it was always at the forefront at least you know when when he was you know act like traveling the scenes where he's really connecting with locals and whatnot so there's i i imagine there's a lot of nuance there Yes, and there's um, also the character is a writer, so so he's he's dealing with language all the time and and um, really trying to to get the fine tuning of the little differences between one place and the other. Uh, the differences between uh, Uruguay and Argentina are very small between Buenos Aires and Montevideo, let's say. Uh, little words that that are different. Um, maybe you can, in the states, you could probably have that between Canada and and the states, for example. Uh, there's probably that kind of little things that are said different. Um, yes, I I I I wanted to to write about that because there's this quality of Montevideo as a, um, a dreamlike place where it it's similar to Buenos Aires, but all at the same time, it's not Buenos Aires. So sometimes you feel you're in Buenos Aires, and sometimes you realize you're not there. And it's almost like when in dreams you dream with someone, and it's 
and afterwards you say it, it was you but it wasn't you at the same time yeah. uh, and that quality is always um, appearing in in language it sounds like the the same spanish as buenos aires but suddenly this uh, strange words appear uh, which are not from buenos aires mm. the same thing with the blocks where you walk um, and um, and I, I I think that the, the Jenny managed to do that. With, it was for me it was impossible. I didn't know how she was going to solve that kind of thing. So how did you, Jenny? <laughs> well, I mean, I do. So I I say that I translate um, Argentine authors rather than saying that I translate Spanish because um, I do have a very strong relationship with Argentina. I also think that I was very lucky in this case because just before the pandemic really hit, I went to Uruguay, I went to Buenos Aires, and I took the same ferry to Uruguay, to Colonia, and then the bus to Montevideo, and then I was doing research for a novel of my own um, that kind of culminates in this Tibetan monastery in the middle of nowhere in Uruguay. Um, but it was wonderful to have all of that fresh in my mind and that and that really helped me build that film that I mentioned in the book and and enabled me to kind of create fresh solutions to these different words I do think that Canada is a very apt comparison um, but I didn't want to make it just kind of a one-to-one -one relationship since it is also at the same time a different situation um, where Uruguay is this you know tiny country that um, does have a, a different relationship with Argentina than the U.S. and Canada. Um, so I used some of that and some U.K. Um, differences, but also just invented some words. And, and with that, too, I think that our editor, Daniel Lodell, who is a novelist as well, um, who was just nominated for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize. So he has a great eye too, and he helped me a bit with some of those um, little words that are different. Incredible. Um, so let's talk a little bit about these characters. Lucas in particular, our narrator. It it's, feels interesting and complex to write from the point of view of a writer. I don't know. It just, I haven't read a book this, um, powerful as far as the language in a long, long time. So that was super refreshing. But let's talk about Lucas as a character. I, I always curious with novels about how, how autobiographical they are or not, or aren't and, and how characters are developed. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of, of, um, of Lucas in, in me, or a lot of me and Lucas, I don't, I'm not sure, but it's like a 53% more or less. Um, there's a lot of things that I made up. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, aspects of Lucas that I, I don't like, um, but I knew I had to take them farther, f farther. Um, uh, because, uh, for example, the, the, he, he's blaming he's blaming blaming his his wife and kid for all his frustration. 
which I find horrible. And many people do that and uh, are very frustrated because they're not working and they're not doing their work, they're not writing, they're not doing what they have to do and they blame the, uh, the family because they don't have time. And, um, and that's a really dangerous spot when you start going there. Um, and I, I knew that I had to, to, to make, him go, make him go there so that he realized that. Um, and he says uh, some horrible things about being a father, um, some dark things. Some, some, he, he speaks about the, the horrible fear of, of being uh, a father. Um, and um, so I work with, with my own life sometimes, uh, but I work not only w with what happens to me, but also what almost happens or what I, I'm, I'm, I fear that may happen or I desire that could happen. Uh, so it's a kind of peripheral. Um, it's something that it, it works around my own experience. It's not only exactly my own experience, it works around it. Um, also my dreams and all that is in a way it's I feel there's a an autobiographical feeling to it um, but so I I try to to create um, um, poetical truth in a way or a literary truth so that's what has to sound it has to sound true um, but it's not what, what happened in a way. Uh, and I never make clear to anyone what happened exactly, because I think I kill the book completely if I do. If I, if I tell people, well, this part is exactly real, this part isn't, um, I prefer people to think it's exactly what happened to me. And of course, some people who dislike the character think it's, it's me and probably... Uh, don't like me for that and there's a price to that there's a price to pay to that because sometimes they put the phrases of my my characters and say look what Pedro Mayral says <laughs> and it's my character saying that so um, the, if you create a character who is more or less near to yourself and it's believable to um, then there's a price to pay to that because they, people think that's a hundred percent you. Um, uh, yeah, something like that. So I, I made him like a bit more horrible. Um, <laughs> some, something that, that, like that, Chris, but I don't, I don't really have that, have it that clear in a way. Um, because after some time when I do this kind of, um, um, this kind of uh, thing, um, I start forgetting exactly what happened, and the the writing becomes more real, and and sometimes it it overlapses um, the the memory, mm. the the written part overlapses the, the memory. Is there Jenny? Is there any danger in? in translating of kind of losing the essence of a character? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think I find it very difficult to predict 
what translations are going to work. Like even if I really love something when I read it, even if I've translated the author before, it can suddenly be really, really hard to get my voice to synchronize with their voice. Um, I think that that is maybe also one of the most difficult parts of translation is getting that voice right. Um, and it's happened to me before where I have expected to to kind of breeze right through a translation and, um, and instead it takes me months and months to get through the first chapter. That was not the case with this book. I, I really felt immediately so locked into it and like I said, I, I did it pretty quickly and um, you know, obviously I don't have that much in common with, with this protagonist and yet we all have something in common with, with those desires and um, those ideas and those ambitions. And so I didn't find it um, too challenging to really identify with him. I identified with him like crazy. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing hearing kind of how Pedro, how you talk about him being so horrible. Um, I think I just... <laughs> I see him as so human and and vulnerable. I, I want to go back to something you said, Pedro, about um, how you blamed his wife and his kid, his family, for not being able to do his work. And you said that was a dangerous place to go. I'm curious. I mean, wasn't that kind of his reality, though? Wasn't that true? Yes, but... But what what I realized is that um, when when you are able to to kind of separate things and say, well, I'm going to take this time to work, and then I'm going to go out with my kid, and I'm going to enjoy this um, for for an hour, and uh, and then I'm going to cook, and then I'm going to you know I'm going to do the dishes, and and then I'm going to do some other work, and then I'm going to go for for groceries and you kind of divide things. Um, it, I think it works, but when, when you start kind of feeling I, that I have to do all this uh, domestical stuff, uh, I have to go out with my, with my kid, and, uh, but I have to write, I want to write, and, I, and, and you get all mixed up. Um, and that's, that's really horrible because you're not doing either. I mean, you're you're not writing, and you're not enjoying being for a while with your with, with your kids. Um, so I think I've kind of learned that now. I, it's not something that I have it clear every day because sometimes I I kind of turn um, turn crazy with with, with that. But um, but when I manage to do it and, and separate things and saying, well, I'm going to go out with my kid for a while. I'm going to play, and just being in in um, each uh, task and each kind of road that you have to do, you, you have to be different people along the day. Mm. Uh, you have to be the dad. You have to be um, the the husband. You have to you have to be uh, the writer. And um, when when you kind of um, feel that you are in the moment, you are present, it works. But you're if you are there, just waiting for it to end because I. I want to go back to the other part. Um, it's horrible, and um, and I think that what what happens to Lucas uh, at the end of the book is that he he realizes this 
he 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 manages to enjoy being with with his kid um, and that happens to a lot of people and usually men when they they start having a relation with um, with their kids once they separate um, that what they call quality time um, and um, well I, I want I wanted to to put that and I don't, I'm not sure if he's horrible Chris but but uh, but I think that we are all kind of building our own identities now, nowadays in social media with our Instagram and like our Twitter and we're kind of showing our best part um, and I think that literature is kind of the the back of that it's a, the back side of Instagram what, what you w would be ashamed of showing mm -hmm. um, and that's why I, I say horrible but um, it's just not the shiny part mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of a person and um, you call it human and I, I really appreciate that um, but I, I think that we are all kind of showing our best part of our, our identity as, as citizens and it's okay I'm, I, I agree with that, I mean, um, but I think that literature cannot go that way too. Um, characters, in order to have some volume or some, per, some deepness and perspective, have to, to, to have both things, um, the, the, the side that, that makes them a good person and also um, another side uh, where they're not that, um, that good or they don't have things that that clear. Jenny, what do you think of Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't think he's a horrible person, but I think it's a, an interesting, another kind of layer of the translation that there is such a moral panic about fidelity. Well, also like translation is all, always about fidelity too, but in the US, the attitude toward straying toward even entertaining the fantasy of someone who's not your legally <laughs> married spouse, um, lawfully married spouse, is so offensive to people. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how, I'm sure that there will be some very negative reactions to this character just, just as like a reflexive thing. Mm -hmm. What, we have a short story coming out called The Ring by Pedro that I translated um, in two weeks um, on electric literature. That's an incredible, super kind of condensed, um, suspenseful story about a similar theme. And I was really struck. I sent it to um, a very prom <clears throat> excuse me. I sent it to a very prominent editor at a very prominent. Place. And she said she absolutely loved the story, but she was worried that the character didn't get punished for his moral turpitude, um, mm. which I found so shocking because I completely agree with Pedro that especially now um, with social media and the, these completely artificial identities that we are all supposed to have, it's essential to have a safe space for these kind of undercurrents of our psyches to interact. Um, so yeah, I, I have no problem with 
the character myself and I, I really enjoyed, you know, I w have wanted to translate this book for years as Pedro knows I've been really hoping and also Pedro's other work, um, whether or not it touches on similar themes. So um, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> that, that about the, the undercurrents is really very interesting because um, it's all that part of ourselves that we don't, we, we cannot control. Uh, and um, if we, we if we try to 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 make literature, to to make a literature where where we we want to teach something, uh, because the, the the word that the the Jenny says that the editor used uh, punishment. Right? Yeah. There's there's kind of a, a, a an trying i mean trying to teach uh, through characters um makes literature just a kind of um i don't know like like um like in in, in russian socialism you know a literature that wants to educate people um and uh, the the strange part is that um when morals start being very strong People think that um, their moral is uh, so important that it has to be used. It, it, I mean, everything has to function in that way. Um, and I think literature is really—it's really—it's really a dream. It's—it's a, it's a dream um, that cannot be controlled, um, and it—it um, it cannot be stopped. And if if you don't like it, don't read it. I mean, there's some things that I, sometimes I, I, I read stuff that I, don't, I really don't like and I disagree with the ideas and I just don't, don't read them and I don't even comment them. I, um, but I, I think that literature, literature cannot be controlled in that way. And um, I don't know what, what, what you think, Chris and, and Jenny, about, about this. Uh, this kind of um, th there's there's a word for 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 it which which I don't remember uh, when they put something in the cover of the book that it's kind of a warning. What what did, do they call that? Like a disclaimer. It's a, like a disclaimer, but it, it's it it says um, some ideas in this book are offensive. Uh, um, it it may contain uh, misogyny or, or <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I I don't know is is this kind of um, building up in, in in the states? Is this something that it's kind of growing, or is it just um, an exception? Do you mean like a trigger warning? Exactly, trigger yeah. warning. That's that's a word. Yeah. So I see it a lot. I'll I'll put it on the show notes for my podcast. I see it on a lot of podcasts. I see it on. Uh, articles, but I'm, I don't think I've ever seen it on a book. Okay. What about you, Jenny? Wait, so you're going to put a like, trigger warning on our conversation? It That's fascinating. It, it depends what we end up talking about. Probably not, but there are conversations I've had where we've talked about subjects like rape and right. trauma. And yeah, so in those cases, I've been called out and people have said hey can you please 
put a, a content warning or a trigger warning. So I think it's definitely growing in the States. I don't know what it's like in South America. It's interesting that the word trigger is there, right? Um, a trigger warning. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I, I don't see it in South America. Um, in, I mean, not uh, as, uh, as something that is uh, kind of official, but maybe, maybe someone would, would um, make some comment if, right. if, if, if there's something that it sounds to them wrong. But uh, but there's there's not such thing as a, as trigger warnings yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't put one on this book. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's so interesting what that editor had said to you about pun about the character being punished. It's like such a an American Puritan kind of sentiment that. Yeah, I mean. But what's also interesting in the beginning, Jenny, you kind of called the the novel almost a parable, which is meant to teach, right? But it's not so clear what the lesson is. Maybe <laughs> it's more open to interpretation. I mean, I felt I took a lesson from it, but I think, you know, reading fic. I almost exclusively read fiction. I don't read very much nonfiction. Um, I know Peter writes in all genres, but I, I am particularly drawn to fiction, and I think that that exercise in empathy inevitably teaches you something. But to be able to choose the lesson that you draw is kind of the mark of great literature, as opposed to being beaten over the head with propaganda, <laughs> which is right. you know what Peter was saying in in 20th century Russian um, right. social realism. It's like uh, almost an indoctrination. Yeah. I know a lot of authors that love um, love the idea of each reader taking from it what they will or interpreting how they will. And then I've, I know that as writers, we do have sometimes have intentions on what we want to send the reader away with. Where are you kind of with on, on that in this book, uh, Pedro? I would like the reader, um, as you said, uh, to feel that the character is human, um, to feel some empathy, um, and to just quit um, being so hard on, on oneself. Um, and um, being aware also of, of what, of where you are and what you have, and think about um, certain things that may maybe really uh, what life is just about. Uh, life is is not something that it's um, it's going to happen uh, farther along in the future in a better place in another country. Um, is is what's happening right right now. Um, and um, I would like that in a way. Um, I, I think that I think what what happens to Lucas is that he feels alive again. Yeah. Uh, he feels alive because he's con he's going towards this this beautiful woman, and 
he's gonna he's gonna uh, go to bed with her so that that's what he thinks um and um he's gonna have money again and, and he's gonna he's gonna be there um because he he feels numb and, and kind of uh, asleep or dead um and i think that that's what connects a lot with, with a lot of people um and and when i say that i mean uh, i th i thought this this work was going to connect with men but i realized that it connects a lot also with with women and uh, so what that shows is that it's not only uh, a men thing uh, feeling uh, kind of suffocated in a in a relationship um it's everybody can feel like that um, so I, I would like um, the reader to connect with that with that feeling of this kind of light ahead, uh, going towards that, and uh, and and then just getting hit in the face. <laughs> it's not, it's not what what uh, you were expecting. Um, yeah, that, that's what I would like the the, the reader to feel in a way. Just kind of um, shaking someone and, te and telling the, the reader, it's now. Your life is what it, what's happening right now, <laughs> where you are. It's not something better that's going to be when you have more money and, uh, and in the future. That's me. Like, I, I have a long history of, you know, let's go to this place and do this thing, and that's going to be it. That's going to be the answer. That's... So I, that's another reason I really related to Lucas. Um, and like, it makes, yeah, it made me examine that. I think this is the first summer, you know, with the exception of COVID last year, this is the first summer where I haven't run off to somewhere, to something, to try to find it. Or it's like, so I'm, I guess I kind of am learning it along with, with Lucas, but thankfully I didn't quite lose that much in my, in my search. <laughs> um, but I relate. why do we do that? <laughs> uh, there's something that's very, very, um, related with, with the idea of money and capitalism in a way. Um, I think that's that, it. uh, it's always this kind of, uh, the publicity and, and, uh, brands and saying when you get this when you have this car when uh, when you uh, and and also the idea of tourism right um you're saying that going out somewhere um when when you get there when you go there that's that's going to be where where happiness is and we're, we are always being kind of uh, struck by this uh this idea that it's not um life is not where you are right now it's something that you're going to get uh, if you if you spend more money or or, or even if, if you kind of uh, go to the Himalayas and um, and you, you know, uh, and you really feel life again um, it's an idea it's a horrible idea it's a it's it's a horrible idea and we're we're constantly constantly hearing that um, and I know it sounds a bit Zen and, and kind of um, like Japanese poets, but I really, I really, I really think that what what helped me a lot uh, was poetry to to connect with the present and just being uh, and and just 
dealing with my own silence and dealing with my own boring uh, and dealing with 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 my with my little um, insignificant life. That's what poetry did to me. Just telling me it's now, it's it's just around you, uh, and it's a little detail that that count. Um, it sounds a bit a bit uh, simple, but um, I think it's a way to to fight against the anxiety, uh, the anxiety that I always have it. Uh, but it's this anxiety um, kind of um, um, blown up by. Uh, or, or, or fed, fed by, by, by the idea of money. I think the, the capitalism goes to a very deep place of our anxiety. It really get, get gets us there. Yeah, I was I was going to go down the capitalism route, but the more that I think about it, for me, you know, I don't want the house or the car or anything like that it, it it's usually the travel the experience when i think of lucas on the bus um on the way to to see this woman again and just how travel and movement changes his whole relationship to the world around him his senses that is like a type of aliveness like you said he felt alive again that I feel when I travel and at the same time once you get there <laughs> you're still you you still have you know whatever the issues are the the hang-ups or the anxieties are but there's something about that aliveness that mm -hmm. feels real and wonderful <laughs> yeah yeah I I, I think that um, what I, th there's, th they're going to do a, a, they're going to do this year. They're uh, they're going to do a film after the book, and uh, what I really want the film to catch is the movement. Uh, yes. If if they can, they to catch the movement because that that what you're saying, Chris, is when you're going there, it's beautiful to get on the road and put some music in the car and drive away. It's wonderful. And, uh, and when, when you do that in the States or, or in this, in this, uh, huge continent in Argentina too, it's, it's beautiful to just go around, um, the country. Um, and I think that that's really nice. I, th I think, I think we all have to do that. I mean, um, I, I think that characters, um, uh, gain a lot when when you move them around and, and you make them uh, kind of um, bounce against um, the, um, the you know things moving and, and and remembering things as they see little see little details along the way, um, and I think that um, that's that's really good. I I don't think we should stop uh, doing that because movement um, is in itself something very important. But the problem is always that um, the goal, in a way, uh, no, the, the goal of just getting there. Uh, and as you say, you, you get there, you finally arrive, and you, this, you're the same person. Um, yeah. You went through customs, and, and your, all your anxiety um, wasn't stopped in, 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 the, in customs. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah, but I think that movement is great. Um, driving around, going, traveling in that way, I think. But um, the, the, but but just because of the movement itself. Mm. And and uh, if you think uh, uh, about characters in the in the twentieth century, they became very still. The literary character in the twentieth century just stopped. There were no more adventures, and he's an anti-hero, or she, an anti-hero. And um, we have, uh, I don't know, Leopold Bloom in Ulysses, for example. Mm. He, it's, he's a guy who walks around the city of Dublin for a whole day, doesn't want to arrive early to his own house because his wife is uh, in bed with another guy. Um, I don't know, um, this, the, the stranger of, of Camus. Um, he doesn't even know how to feel. He he's kind of numb, and the only thing he does is shoot somebody in in, in the beach because he was he had the sun in his eyes. Mm. Uh, and and then, for example, Beckett characters who are just lying in bed, dying. Um, so the, it's kind of the the literary character kind of uh, just. Um, got quieter um, or, or got just um, kind of slowed down and stayed still and what happened in his own brain kind of started um, going with, with, with more volume. Uh, and, and I think that nowadays that we are completely just um, completely uh, still uh, with our computers, mm. we need to make our characters go out on on the street and on the road. <laughs> we need to move them. We we need to wake them up in in a way. I think that our literary characters uh, got kind of a, you know gloomy and uh, too n neurotic. Hmm. Um, I think that movement is good for 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 characters and for ourselves, of course. You, you you kind of noticed the same, uh, Jenny. That's such an interesting point I hadn't really thought of before. Yeah, I mean, I think that I love that point, and you know, it makes sense with the shift in focus from exterior to interior that follows, like the popularization of Freud. And then for me, um, the absolute culmination of that would be, you know, Otessa Moschweg's novel my year of rest and relaxation in which um the character really doesn't do she issues both exterior and interior so she wants a year in which absolutely nothing happens so she just takes a lot of pills and the year goes by time passes and she's not even really having ideas or um, reacting to anything. And I would love for that to kind of mark the end point of that trend in literature. And I agree with Pedro that it would be wonderful to now start bringing characters back up, out <clears throat> into the world, especially after this horrible pandemic. So, yeah, get them going again. Yeah. Well, that's probably one huge reason I love this book so much. The, the movement and that that the the journey, yeah. the anti-hero's journey. 
Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much. Thank this you. This is 